Hi everyone, my name is Steven Wakabayashi and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer Asian perspectives. This episode, we have our very extra special guest, Tarek Tran, back again, and really excited to have another follow-up conversation on all things COVID, all things Asian hate, all things activism, and Asian culture. And so, welcome back, Derek. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Good morning, Derek. You just woke up. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> How was your morning? A little rough, but here I am. And for uh, anyone new listening in, could you do a quick intro, name, pronoun, what you do? Hello, I'm Derek Tran. My pronouns are he and him. I'm a business owner here in Los Angeles. I'm interested in many things, activism specifically. So, yes, that's it. My pronouns are he, him. I am based here in lovely New York City where construction is happening outside 24-7. You might hear a little bit of it here and there. And Derek and I always talk about these issues through text message, calls, you name it. I figured we'd just put it out in podcast form to share our thoughts and perspectives with everyone in the world. Form of therapy, yeah. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> it is. It's a very much therapy and just, it's almost like writing in your diary, where your diary is public and it's, it's with your voice. <laughs> it's like our live journal. Mm, our Zenga? Our, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we won't date ourselves and we'll just call this our Tumblr. <laughs> I had so many Zangas back in the day. It was a thing. <laughs> I actually printed out all of my Zanga a few years ago. For some reason, I had this fear that the site would go down and all my thoughts and memories back then would go away. And literally, it's the most dramatic and mundane thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> we were kids back then. What did you write about? What, what was your topic that you just kept journaling? Boys, body image, basically not much has changed. <laughs> I, I journaled about, because mine was public, and when mm -hmm. I was writing it, I wasn't really out. And so I was just having all these like dramatic fits with all of my friends. And, and then I would, I, <laughs> and I would get really annoyed and pestered with them. And I would go write a poem about them. And then they would message <laughs> me after, Stephen, what is this about? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some obscure poem. Thought you were a friend, not really. Gonna look back twice. <laughs> oh, good lord. And then I think they were gonna shut down at one point. And then so they emailed all of us and they're like, hey, yeah, come save all your stuff before we delete it all. That, that's why I printed it all out. <laughs> Those were the days. And how we generally like to start our podcast is just a quick COVID check in, just to see how you're doing during this pandemic what's new how are you holding up uh, things are actually opening back up quite quickly here in la there's sweeping openings everywhere i think june 15th everyone's gonna basically throw away their masks not me personally because i feel it's a little soon or it's mm -hmm. a little capricious but yes things are opening back up and seems life is getting back to where it used to be mm, same in new york city as you walk through the streets you can actually feel the life coming back 
people are actually happy, <laughs> not somber. But the mask situation is very concerning because the CDC and Biden pushed out a note saying, if you fully vaccinated, no more masks, indoor and outdoors. But yeah, how do you know somebody's vaccinated? Here's the thing about the CDC announcement. I, I think a lot of people tend to just read headlines and don't read anything underneath that. Mm-hmm. So they're not quite educated. And a lot of times patients put out things that get your attention. And a lot of times it's very misleading. Nature of my business, I have to deal with people every day. And there was actually a person that very same day walked in and said, I don't have to wear a mask. The CDC said so. I looked her straight in her face and I told her, the CDC isn't a governing body. It's not a part of the government. It's not a mayor. It's not a senator. It's not anything. So the fact is they're pushing it out, but it still comes down to local policies. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Absolutely. Oh, you, you saw the thing with Ricky Schroeder, right? Mm-mm-mm. Remind me. Rick, Ricky Schroeder was a 80s a child star. He was in Silver Spoons. He's very mm-hmm. esoteric. But he literally filmed himself going into a Costco saying, the CDC to- told me I don't have to wear a mask. And there was a Ugh. big hubbub about it. And he posted it online. And of course, he had immediate backlash and he redacted it and he apologized. But he still is going forth with full Trump supporter. So Ugh, I know. That's rough. As if people in service industry hasn't gone through enough this year. Agreed. And they have no choice. So it's just unfortunate that they are in position where you just have to interact so much with people for your livelihood and it's actually the most dangerous right now the general public sucks yeah they do could be more educated could be more mindful could be more conscious could be more kind (laughs) put yourself in someone else's shoes what's even more surprising is the fact that the united states has it way better than so much of the world, especially as it pertains to the state with COVID vaccinations. And it's just surprising that we have people here in our country that are turning away vaccinations. Meanwhile, people in other countries are begging to have vaccines sent to them. They're literally dying for it. Absolutely. Canada still doesn't have a bunch of vaccines. India is struggling tremendously. And a lot of Asia, too. Taiwan just recently went back into lockdown, and there were a lot of issues with the vaccines, and people weren't sure when they were able to get the second dose. People in the United States should be very grateful and utilize the resources we have because this is how we're going to come out of the pandemic people just need to figure out how we help one another to be honest with you i've had this conversation with several people over mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks or months if the last year hasn't taught you some gratitude some empathy mm. some grace and some just just empathy in general mm-hmm. like nothing will mm. if, if the world shutting down and literally millions dying doesn't change you in a positive way to try to change the world. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's anything that will change you. Mm-hmm. Mm. So are we hopeless? I don't think we're hopeless. I just think that we need to focus <laughs> on the positives mm-hmm. and uh, like-minded people. Mm. 
in my mindfulness spaces and various spaces that we talk about meditation and consciousness, we have this reoccurring theme that comes up about how hurt people hurt others and that the people who are inflicting the harms, whether it's anti-Asian hate or just Donald Trump himself, has a lot of hurt that they are not able to process and so they just spill it onto everyone else. And especially in the context of Donald Trump, for a lot of us, it's really hard to understand that concept, right? Where he is someone who is severely hurt to be able to do onto so many people such prejudice and intolerance, especially as we talk about how do we move forward as a community? How do we get collective liberation? How do we heal all of us together? Yeah, it's still a much debated topic about where to invest resources in and to figure out how we can heal and even identify who is actually the most severely deficit in help, compassion, love, healing. I truly believe in that, but also you have to draw a line at people that are straight up sociopaths. I know comparative joy isn't something that's positive, but from my perspective, being a billionaire, being fed with a silver spoon, being given gold millions spoon. To- they don't do Gold. silver. Um, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. I maybe it's platinum. I don't platinum. know. Maybe. It's, but blood just diamond. From my perspective, I feel like he had all the advantages mm-hmm. that most of us would never have. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm not quite sure where the hurt is there, but mm-hmm. that seems like the psyche that I feel like most of us are quite tired of. Absolutely. While Trump was in office, he catalyze so much of where we are today, especially as it pertains to anti-Asian hate crimes, when he kept bringing up China, Wuhan flu, China completely damaging the entire world, and all of these people who have not that much education to look outside the box just trusted in him. And we are a year in, more than a year into this pandemic, especially as it pertains to Asian hate. It still continues. He's actually being sued for it now. I believe he's being sued for something like $22 million. I believe it's a dollar for every single Asian. Oh, it's $22.9 million. So he's being sued by the CACRC. Mm -hmm. And for that hateful rhetoric that has inflicted so much pain upon Asian Americans, if not our Asian diaspora at large. Mm -hmm. And, And maybe bringing it back to the present day and just... How how do we even get out of it? Every single day on social media, as soon as I open it, I either see Jackfruit or another Asian channel posting about another Asian attack that had happened. And then it just, it, it, it spirals out of control because you want to do more research about this. You want to know what happened, get more context. And then all of a sudden you have spent another hour or two looking at Asian folks get attacked again. And it's just draining yeah it's very draining and it's been really tough and yeah this balance of how do we create a momentum of awareness of change and how do we create space for ourselves to heal to not be so bogged down with so much pain that's happening and and i don't have an answer but i've been really struggling to find a balance because it doesn't seem like there really is an easy way to find a balance with that. 
I mean, it, it was a couple of weeks ago, late at night, I had this really dark moment and just reading all the news, it really got to me. We've been doing this for over a year. We've been trying to raise awareness. And at this point, just posting everyday trauma porn isn't really helping anyone. It's mm. not raising awareness because people are aware of it. It's basically out of our hands. Mm -hmm. Celebrities have jumped on board. And then mm -hmm. even Biden signed earlier this week the anti-Asian hate bill. What else do we do? Where do we go from here? And a lot of celebrities are just jumping in with like random posts, right? Like Justin Bieber. He just posts this image, it's just scribbled, stop Asian hate. And I'm like, I, I like, I get it. But you could do more, right? You could highlight other people, creators in the space that you want to uplift. And it's just, there's so, so It was so last minute and it was yeah. so low effort. Very low effort. You don't even know if he's the one that posted that. <laughs> like, Very true. He's not the person that I would look to for social awareness, mm. like the dreadlocks, mm. appropriation. That's just my point of view. So much of this activism too, especially in the gay community, is super shallow. It's just a lot of... In the gay community. <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like all these gay white men. Remember at one point, we're just like, we talked about this so many times. They're just like posting about all these naked photos and the hashtag stop Asian hate on the bottom. I'm just like, what? This doesn't even make sense. And it just keeps continuing. And it's not only white men. Yeah. I know several, several different people of color that are equally mm, shallow. I've been doing a much better job of cleansing my Instagram following feed to make sure I'm parsing out some of these people good yeah. i think that's something we all really need to do sometimes it's a little unfortunate because you look at who is on the forefront of queer media look at the big queer youtube celebrities queer instagram celebrities you know, queer all. eye exactly like the whole team at queer eye they are the last people to get into social issues during the moment. Even Tan France, right? I have given my two cents on Tan France many times. And especially as an Asian individual, I'm so disappointed time and time again, especially in the height of Asian hate crimes. His Instagram feed is sponsored products. I, I just have so many thoughts. That's yeah. just the way everybody works, though. To come to a point where you realize that if you show that you have some sort of depth, that people will think that it'll affect their trajectory. Yeah. It's showing that you care will actually make you less popular. And it's so sad, especially in the last year with everything that's happened with COVID, with BLM, with, even with now with Palestine, which is ridiculous. It's sad that we've come to a point where we can't say anything because we feel mm. like people will think less of us or will think we're too much. At this point, too, you have to have an opinion. We're just mm -hmm. at the point where if you aren't for BLM or you aren't for Stop Asian Hate, it's very questionable what you really are for. And same thing goes for Palestine and so much around the world, right? Stuff that's happening in Colombia, many parts of Asia, Southeast Asia, Philippines. I saw this a while ago and it's very true. Opinionated people go around bothering each other. Mm -hmm. I feel like people should educate themselves before forming that opinion because a lot of times people form opinions before they really know what's going on or really know in depth what's going on or they just watch cnn <laughs> or fox news Fox News. <laughs> at least this is what i've learned in the past year is we just have to be really conscientious of areas where we're getting news from and also understanding where they get 
their money from just as much as news channels same thing for influencers and a lot of influencers who aren't speaking out they have brands that they don't want to alienate and to lose funding the more we can understand how money plays a huge pivotal role in people speaking out 99% of news media is owned by a handful of companies oh yeah guaranteed yeah. I think it's five to seven companies own basically every single news company in America. So you really have to track that who's pulling mm. the strings on these things and who's funding them. Absolutely. And the perspectives they put out at the end, who benefits too. Yes. On the flip side, what do you do to be informed? What do you read? How do you consume your news? I'm all over the place, to be honest with you. I, I try to be as in-depth as possible, even going as far as reading Fox News and Breitbart and even like far-right things just to see their perspective, which is completely horrible because you'll fall into this spiral of conspiracy theories and <laughs> things like that. But I do try to keep my news sources balanced and I do try to understand the other perspective because I'm, I'm coming more to a more central state because I feel like we're so divided that I'm trying to understand the other side because we're not getting rid of each other at any point. So we need mm -hmm. to come together somehow. And the only way to do that is trying to understand their perspective, understand what they're being fed. Absolutely. In the mindfulness spaces that I'm in too, we have been talking a lot about having this enemy where until we have an enemy, we can't solve anything. And especially on the left, right? Mm -hmm. I think the enemy has been white supremacy. And while I understand as a concept, it is terrible, absolutely wretched. But what is scary is sometimes when we try to paint specific individuals that embody this, rather than understanding that this is a concept that is in all of us. And so where a lot of things get lost in translation is trying to abstract concepts into physical enemies that people can repel. And when you repel these enemies, then you must be on the good side. If I repel these Karens or, or these people who have white supremacy-led ideals, then I must be a good individual rather than understanding the concept that it's, it's not a matter of pushing these individuals away, but it's a matter of addressing the concepts within the individual which is a lot harder because it's almost like treating a virus, a disease, where you, you have to figure out how you keep the host alive. Mm -hmm. You can't just off with everyone's head and they're like, great, I solved COVID. I killed mm -hmm. everyone. <laughs> they, they were doing this in many parts of the world, which is real fucked up. If we truly want to address establishing equity and establishing kindness, compassion for everyone in this world, it is addressing the really difficult concept of how do we identify these concepts within them and work to heal these within them. Exactly. Like you can't just go out and just call out people. You, you have to start calling them in as well because it, we're all just going to go around yelling at each other and ye yelling our opinions at each other and just never actually listening, which yeah. gets nobody anywhere. No, nowhere. Absolutely. For us to have a different world is to be different, all of us. And 
we are so used to having an enemy. It's a typical movie plot, right?、Mm. You have protagonist meets enemy, get rid of enemy, the whole world rejoices in peace. It is so rarely the case like that in this world. As an Asian community, is this divide between activism and just going with the flow, especially as it pertains to different generations of Asian people? It, trust me, I've I've seen how difficult it's been. Certain friend circles, especially Asian American, there have been many of us that have been speaking out every day, if not every minute of the last year. But there's a large majority that have been keeping silent. I was actually speaking、uh, to Randy of Bunmi Chronicles and talking about the Vietnamese diaspora and how. If you you don't fall into a certain mold, a lot of us are very independent thinkers. We don't fall into these troops of ABG, ABB. Culturally, we're I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the Confucianism. Maybe it's the filial piety. But so many of us just chose not to speak up in the last year. I I know it's not everybody's job, and there are certain people that will come out as leaders, and people will follow. But it's just it's very disheartening to feel the work that we're doing right now. Isn't supported by people because maybe that's my fault, a fault in my own thinking, where they're not showing that they they care. So maybe that's my issue, but it it really is disappointing to see how many people just don't talk about it, aren't aware about it. Like it's I don't know. It's complex. Everyone is on their own journey, and especially as we talk about marginalized identities and people who haven't had the breath of opportunity and privilege to be able to come into their own skin so especially folks in the asian diaspora here in the united states we have a whole generation of asian americans or still asian immigrants who had to conform right to be naturalized like the whole concept of naturalization was to conform And then now we are speaking out against the government and saying these things are bad, and yet they were groomed their entire lives that this was the only way they could stay and have a different future for their family right here in America. And and I've been having a lot of conversations with Asian folks to have more compassion, have more kindness, especially for our immigrant family members, because it wasn't as easy for them, and they didn't have the privilege of. Already being naturalized and not having maybe something that they say used against them、mm-hmm. that may void their ability to stay in the country,、mm-hmm. and there's also a very different power dynamic where if we are naturalized in the country that we are speaking out on, we don't face deportation. At least for myself, it's been finding compassion for understanding the conditions that people were brought up in, having. Kindness for people on their own journey, especially for folks in the BIPOC community, and uplifting the little actions that exist or that's done, so that people feel more empowered when they、mm-hmm. speak up. Because I also hear that from time and time again, especially for people who aren't speaking out already. That they are afraid to say the wrong things, that they feel that they missed the boat in terms of educating themselves on the terminologies used in activism, the concepts that we're all used to, and so a lot of just again beating themselves up about not understanding, and so they, 
in turn become more silent because they're like silence seems to not draw criticism as much so let me stay silent rather than speaking out to touch on that maybe they're just not trying hard enough <laughs> i what i'm saying is like last year during the height of blm I, I knew so many people that were really trying to educate themselves on the plight that african americans have been facing for hundreds of years in america like literally books upon books sites upon sites and these people are really trying to understand what's going on and if they can do that for blm they can do that for asian hate and they can learn. It's that's a process of being human. We learn every day. That's the point of being alive. I was thinking more so the older generation. Well, okay, well, you, like our parents. You know, but honestly, I hate to say it, but I feel like the older generation. The reason why they're not changing is because their kids aren't trying hard enough. Hmm. I I do feel like because of feline piety, a a lot of times we don't want to argue with our parents and we don't want to correct our parents. And on their end, they they tend to be very Mm self-righteous. They're like, I'm the parent. I know everything. I've lived longer than you. I gave birth to you. Why are you trying to teach me things? And I ran into that myself with my mother. And even though she was in a different country, she was still reading like very rights Vietnamese media, which is Mm -hmm. terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't if you saw how many people were supporting Trump on the Vietnamese camps, but it was, yikes. Disturbingly but, you know, a lot, yeah. It was a lot. And honestly, she was on the boat last year, and I had to talk to her, a FaceTimer almost every day, talk to her about everything that's happening. I was talking to her about the Asian crimes right when it was happening, and she didn't kick into it until six months ago. But she really started to turn a corner after a while and started to see my point of view and really started understanding why Trump was so terrible and why mm. these issues mattered and I broke it down to her mm. that the whole thing with Kung Flu it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to all these people that are propagating this hate it doesn't matter if you're Chinese or Vietnamese or Korean or Chinese or any other ethnicity mm-hmm. we all look the same to them mm-hmm. And even if you don't look the same, there are Indians and South Asians that have been attacked because of COVID, which is mm-hmm. even more re- but mm. she started to turn a corner and understanding our point of view. Mm. So I, I do feel like the generation that was born here or Americanized, they're, they have a job to do. They, they really need to start talking to their parents about difficult issues or things they might not necessarily agree with. Mm. Because my mother's in her 70s. And if she can change her opinion in her 70s, I really think anyone can. Mm-mm-mm. it's just about putting in the work yeah absolutely I just tell my mom mommy you can't say that there's some things that she says I just say yeah you can't say that it's just or okay she, <laughs> or she might just interpret it as oh I can't say that around you no I tell her <laughs> the world is not going to be very happy I say you just have to trust me on this she's like, okay <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't want people to get mad at you. You have to trust me on this. (laughs) That's a a good, that's good. Yeah. I, yeah, it just, I, with my mom, I've been just with everything with like COVID and everything. I have been very much on the, on the front. I don't want to say the front line actually, but front line on the news just like following everything that's happening and figuring out, okay, what's coming out, where are things? And especially with my family, I told them to even quarantine in advance before everything had shut down. And so I think there is a little bit of 
trust that my mom and my aunt has in terms of <laughs> at least trusting in me to just tell them you, you just have to listen to this like it's gonna get bad stuff like that and so they're like okay yeah and they watch a lot of news in taiwan and sometimes i, I just ask them i'm like i think it helps to have a different perspective it does and not to just keep listening to the same person talk again and again and while people have great perspectives and i sell them to them, i'm like yeah like i have my own biases you know and the People that I learn from also provide me with different perspectives. I also learn from many people. And so I said, it doesn't hurt to have other perspectives in the mix. And it's just up to us it's to be able to learn. Yeah. It's sad to see people go through life with only one perspective. Mm. And I, I do feel like the problems in America right now, there are certain people that only have one perspective of their whole life. And they're mm. not unaware of anyone else's perspective. And I feel like they are the people causing a lot of problems in America right now. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are so many cultural things that are just so deep because you mentioned like filial piety and uh, like we're not solving filial piety in our generation. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if ever. It's just so deeply ingrained within our, our cultures, our community. It's the, it's the foundation of many laws and legislations even too. And I think it's about... I feel like yeah. so deeply that is almost epigenetic mm. if people don't know what epigenetic it means that basically you experience trauma or you experience something so deeply that it affects you on a genetic level and it can be passed on to generations beyond mm -hmm. so i do feel like it's so ingrained in this it's thousands of years of this training mm -hmm. so like it's only natural that we have that in us mm -hmm. absolutely yeah the study of how genes turn on and off based on our emotional states, environment, yeah. Did you just look that up? No, I studied epigenetics uh, myself like all last year and the few years before, yeah. I'm like really obsessed with it. It's really interesting, actually. Yeah. It's especially with... No, it's interesting because uh, when it Did deals you with look that trauma. up? You're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> You're like surprised. <laughs> no, I was I surprised. studied a lot of genetics in Just undergrad. It's so useless. It like I don't use it. it. <laughs> I don't use any of it in my day-to-day, -day, but it's good to know. <laughs> but the epigenetic mm -hmm. thing, it, like when it comes to trauma, especially with certain people, say Vietnamese people, because Vietnamese and Cambodians are probably the closest in terms of Asia to experience war than any other cultures in Asia. There's no other country that has experienced war recently. I think I've said this before, but the current generation in Vietnam is the first generation to not have experienced war in hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our experiences are very different, especially when we come to the U.S. and we're expected to, to fall in line, basically. And things are going to be very different. And there's going to be a lot of muscular knots in our bodies that we have when we hold on to emotion and trauma and pain. It builds up within us. And it's not something we can just go to one massage therapy session and just gone. Mm. It has to be worked on again and again to unravel it slowly. And so it's going to take multiple generations to really understand the pains and to come to terms with it and yeah it's the, the collective consciousness that we just have to become more aware of but unfortunately there's just so many more pains that are inflicted upon new communities 
or I don't want to say new as in like they've never faced traumas, but new pains and new traumas, especially in the past year. Even more pain happening in the Middle East, even more pain happening in Colombia and Myanmar. And I have this theory of COVID really accelerated a lot of issues within many different communities. Mm -hmm. And COVID was really this breaking point for many folks to finally go, fuck it, I'm angry, lash out. And so... Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially between the Asian cultures. You can really... You can really parallel that to the Asian and Black experience over the last year, especially the animosity between the two cultures, when in reality, we're so interconnected and we've been allies for generations, but yet there's still this animosity between us. It's gone so far in the media that even, what's her name, Jada Pinkett Spit, the myth, Mm -hmm. and Will Smith on Red Table spoke with Lisa Ling about it and Mm -hmm. how we really need to have each other's back because that is the only way out of this. Mm Mm-hmm. If we start to learn each other's pain and learn that we have each other in terms of support. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And not, like, or scapegoat each other for certain things in society that has manipulated us into hating each other. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of undoing. Mm-hmm. A tremendous amount of undoing. And there is so much hope that we have especially as we see the younger generations starting to become more in tune with social issues and dedicating their platform i actually recently read an article i forget through what channel about how gen z there's a growing movement of folks who actually are turning off and walking away from social media because they see the generations before them so obsessed and tied down to it And I thought that was very fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And refreshing that you have this younger generation that can actually see issues with our generation before us, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to be like that. Obviously, duh. (laughs) We're like stuck in social media. And then the generation coming up, look at it and go, how how are these millennials so stuck on social media? You're talking about Gen Alpha right now, right? Is it Gen the Alpha? Gen, Gen Alpha is the generation after Gen Z. The article Gen- was saying Gen Z in particular. Yeah. Aren't Gen Z the people on TikTok? There's a, a growing trend of people who, they're on TikTok, but they eliminated themselves from being on Twitter, Instagram, oh, okay. Facebook. It's great that the younger generation is starting to speak out more. We've had, we had a conversation a while back where I think we were talking about the pros and cons that these children, they, they have to go about this. They, they're exposed to this trauma. They're exposed to all these uh, things happening in the media right now. But on the positive side, they're being activated and they're actually speaking about the issues. And that is the only way that change can happen. If we were talking about these things when we are that age, imagine how far we would have come by now. Mm-hmm. Imagine how the world would have changed if we would have been aware about it at, what, 10 eight, nine, pre pubescent mm-hmm. ages. And they're talking about this and they're really passionate about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very passionate. And the only thing, the only feedback I have with that is making sure that we, as we work in the space of activism, also give voice and a platform to the lived experiences before us. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really tricky, especially on social media and these folks, the younger folks in activism gaining such a tremendous amount of followings, I see them 
really cannibalizing a lot of the content from a lot of other folks. Yeah. And then putting it on their channel, talking about what other people are talking about and using that to uplift their space. And it is really this fine balance of, yes, I get it. You're talking about issues that are, you know, pervasive in society, but we have to pay respects and we have to give the space to lived experiences who can sometimes speak about the issues much better than us. And it's a fine balance that I think the next generation, as they work through some of this stuff, we're going to see some growing pains with it. Are you talking about like the white TikTokers that are stealing content from people of color with activism? I'm specifically talking about the younger POC TikTokers who are like 16, 17, Mm -hmm. talking about a lot of really important deep issues but just taking some of the concepts like i i i I was just listening to some of them talk about issues in like the workplace and stuff like that and i was like but you've never worked (laughs) so what i'm like where are you getting these lessons from and yeah they were just like giving some advice in like the workplace and i was just like yeah might not be the best space for you to talk about that i could see how it's important beneficial but yeah in those instances we have to give space to those who have lived experiences that we want to share and uplift. All I can say is keep pushing. I know it's out of our hands at this point because laws are being signed into effect and people that have huge platforms have taken this on. But the fact is, we still need to talk about this. We still need to push forward. We still need to raise awareness of these issues and just have each other's backs. Absolutely. And this work isn't on us as individuals to shoulder and solve either. Exactly. We have to be able to figure out, right, how we work together, come together, how we celebrate different types of activism too, right? That there is not a single way of liberation. Otherwise, that is very much aligned with colonial mentality where it's one way or the highway. And so the more we can create space for not just ourselves and our perspectives, which is really important, but also creating space for others that may agree with us others that might not agree with us but at the end of the day just finding a common ground to be able to connect and to be able to celebrate one another so that we can get collective liberation for folks like us and everyone else and so as we wrap up any single lesson that maybe you have discovered that you want to just share with our listeners? I think a really important thing over the last year that I've always thought it over my last, during my lifetime, just realize you don't know everything and that mm. there are things out there that you really need to educate yourself on. Because a lot of times the people that feel like they do know everything, they don't bother to educate themselves on the issue at large or, or in depth. Mm. People talk about Palestine and Israel and not really be educate them on themselves on the conflict and why it's an issue. Same thing with the struggle between Asian and Blacks, the struggle of Black people in general, period. People really need to educate themselves and step back and say, yeah, I don't know everything, so educate me, tell me. I think that's great. Yeah, and then myself, the lesson that I've been working a lot more recently has been joy to observe when I am coming from a place of joy or I'm coming from a place of sometimes manufactured joy that we have to be really cognizant of and to not make that up 
particularly because once we start manufacturing it and trying to figure out how to manufacture it, it's not really joy anymore, you know? And so using that as a um, litmus test to determine what's going well. What is something that I want to celebrate more with other people? And using that to determine what projects I want to work on, where I want to put more emphasis on, has been very enlightening. Always great to have these conversations with you and you offer so much insight and so much wisdom and kindness in your spoken word. And for anyone who's listening, if they want to follow you, get in touch with you, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram, find your fearless. And basically that's my only social media right now because I just can't handle it. Same with me too. I've just been really struggling with having every single platform. And so, yeah, you can find me at Steven Wakabayashi on Instagram as well. And so with that, we come to a close. Hope everyone listening, you have an awesome rest of your day. And we'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. Bye.